0: 15 head of cattle started showing neurologic signs, pressing their head against a post, slobbering, difficult walking, in a mix of cows and bulls from different pastures. All 15 ultimately died. Welcome to Tox Talk. I'm Brad White, happy to be joined by Dr. Scott Fritz, who's a clinical assistant professor of toxicology here at the Kansas State College of Veterinary Medicine. Hi, Scott. Hi, Brad. Happy to have you here with us today to talk about this case. And as we've mentioned before, all of these cases are taken from the past and we've changed some details to make them not tied to any specific operation, but also want to share these because these are great examples of things that you've seen in your career and hopefully others can prevent these. And I want to start with this case. So I mentioned at the top, we're talking neurologic signs. What are some of the first things that start going through your mind?
1: Uh, Neurologic signs are pretty common from a toxicology case presentation Um, there's a fairly long list of differentials but when you start talking about multiple pastures on the same place multiple age classes of animals so there were adult cows adult bulls um, there even some cattle on feed just you know you'd find a situation like this all over the place Um, so you start trying to look for commonalities between them and you know tying that in with a differential list and just trying to see what what we can do
0: well that's a that's a great point because normally and you're ruling out a couple of things i think of because normally we see these that are a specific type of cattle right it's in feeder calves but not adults or adults but not feeder calves or they're geographically linked right they're in this pasture or they were in this feed and that's not what you're seeing in this operation it's all over the board
1: that was pretty widespread and this is a big operation i mean we're talking a couple hundred head spread across those different groups and so there's you know the, the ultimate percentage of cattle affected isn't that big but it was like pretty acute so there were 15 that were clinical and dead in a short amount of time
0: so when you say acute how how fast did this occur from the time they saw some of the first because some of these signs that we talked about ataxia uh head pressing slobbering they're not easy to they're easy to see
1: yeah and it was so my understanding was um you know pick a day it was a wednesday I got the phone call about noon and the veterinarian had got the phone call that morning and so it must have been overnight you know that day Uh, so we're talking hours you know on an hour scale not necessarily a days kind of thing
0: okay so in the hours you start seeing calves or cows that are having these issues what's the first step you want to go through
1: that's a that's a good question it's a stressful situation for everybody you know you've got multiple pastures and and, you know the producers making laps trying to see how widespread the problem is Um, I don't envy the veterinarian for being in that position um, when you get out there, but I think the first thing you got to triage, if there's some clinically affected cows that you think that you could have a, you know, positive chance of fixing the issue, you got to go there first.
0: So what's your, what's your first, at this point, we don't know what it is. What are some of the first things you would try treatment wise?
1: Uh, So for me on neurologic stuff on cows, you know, on cattle in general, polio comes to mind. Um, There's some infectious stuff, listeriosis, that kind of thing. So I think you know, from a treatment standpoint, I'm going to start with thymine, maybe a corticosteroid and potentially an antibiotic if there, if there's a listeria chance involved.
0: Yeah. And w- what about things like lead? Does that come to, cause lead could cause some of these same signs. How come, how come that didn't pop to mind in this case?
1: Oh, it, it does pop to mind, but the treatment for lead is going to be pretty much the same. I mean, the yeah. the brainer treatment, I always called it, yeah. or some people call it 20, 20, 20 yeah. Um, you know, that's, it's, There's not a lot of specific therapies for something like that. And and
0: it'd be odd to have this many lead cases occur. Now, you could have this many lead cases, but they'd be a little more sporadic would be my expectation. Is that aligned with what you've seen?
1: Uh, You do see some acute lead cases. You know, the ones that come to mind are a battery gets chewed up in a mixer wagon or something where you've got a definite exposure and the timeline can look like this. Um, So I don't think it's inappropriate and it's for sure on the rule out list.
0: Okay. So as you, as you see the cattle and the the veterinarian goes out, you identify some of these, um, they look like maybe they're blind. Some of them were found dead. Um, we talked about some of the other clinical signs and and some of them recumbent didn't get up. So what next?
1: Yeah. So the, the veterinarian went out and did some necropsies. Um, you know, I, I don't know if there were animals they could treat at the time. They did some necropsies. And so, on a case like that, where you, a neurologic case, I know it's not fun, but you need brains on those cases. Cause a lot of times there's either a histologic lesion or some sort of analysis that we need to do to make a diagnosis in these cases. Um, but also your typical submission, you know, we need just to take a fairly robust set. Cause we talked about lead. I want to look for lead in the liver and kidney. If we've got a, like a water deprivation or a salt poisoning case, I want to look for the sodium in the brain. If it's polio, I want to find the histologic lesion. And so we, you know, we need all those samples in order to sort this one out.
0: So let's just, let's just run down and maybe give me a list of samples that you, because at this point we're doing the first necropsy. I don't know what I'm going to find. Give me a list of samples you want me to collect. And then I've got some questions on the brain specifically.
1: Sure. So in any case, I think it's not a bad idea to include heart, skeletal muscle, lung, liver, kidney, spleen, any sections that you see in the guts that are abnormal, um, some rumen content. Did I cover kidney? I think I got kidney. Yep. Um, so, that, I mean, that alone there is a pretty robust set. And then neurologic cases, for sure, the brain. And then, obviously, I always like ocular fluid as a toxicologist.
0: Yeah, I was going to say, ocular fu- fluid is your favorite, right? That's, that's it's, one. Easy. It's, it's easy. It's easy It's to your use. favorite, and it's right there next yep. to the
1: brain. Easy to collect, and it's easy to use.
0: Okay, so not easy to collect is the brain. So tell me what do you want the whole brain part of the brain do i take a because with most of those other samples i know what to do right i'm going to take a section of uh, muscle heart muscle or kidney but what about the brain
1: yeah that's we maybe need a pathologist to answer that one for sure from uh, from a histopath standpoint but typically if you take the whole brain and split it longitudinally fix half send the other half fresh um, that brain is not going to fix properly, you know, a full half hemisphere of a cow brain will not fix properly in formalin, so you may need to make some sections. Um, but we talked about listeriosis maybe being uh, a potential rule out here, so you definitely need brainstem to look for the micro abscesses and then um, for sure the cortex on a polio case.
0: Okay. The other the other sample question I wanted to ask you, so people talk about taking rumen contents a handful from anywhere a how much do i need do i try to get the liquid part the feed part the both does it matter
1: the best answer is to try to get a representative sample of the entire thing so multiple grab samples from different areas i would honestly bag them together mix it up and then just send a, a gallon size bag and with rumen content the important thing to remember is to freeze that right away there's so a lot of things that we're going to look for can they're going to disappear.
0: degrade over time as yeah. the bacteria use them exactly. up because those bacteria are still in there. So, so that's when we need to, to have frozen. Okay. All right. So what what did you find out? You got those samples in this case. And w- what starts? Uh... Yeah. So what
1: really caught me off guard is when the, you know, the samples came in, unpacked the boxes. The first thing I did was grab the brain, and I went into the, a dark room with a black light, and it just fluoresced. I and mean, I've never seen a brain. Like, it was textbook fluorescence um, from the brain. And so... you we I'd, we'd gone through the case with the veterinarian and tried to ask some questions um beforehand we need to find a way to get through that that's not so choppy because like so the, we had had this submission and then i would talked to her she went and did the necropsies and then in the meantime they had been treating with thiamine and had cows recover so that kind of clued us in so i don't okay. want to loop that in
0: um. So you sent, you sent the samples in. What was going on at the at the farm at that time before you got any lab results?
1: That's a good question. That really lined up, um, kind of broke the case for us. So they, on the place, they had been doing their treatment for neurologic cattle, and it seemed like that the cows were responding to B-complex, um, which has thiamine in it. And so the response to thiamine somewhat narrows down our differential list. I think you rule out some of the infectious stuff. Uh, thiamine will be somewhat supportive of a lead diagnosis but it really hammers in on like true polio like a sulfur associated polio
0: okay so even before you got any lab results back you're thinking of a uh, sulfur associated polio because sometimes we, t- we talk about polio and and polio is a disease syndrome but also can be a histopathological lesion associated with things like salt toxicosis that you mentioned but typically not thiamine responsive as well in that case
1: yeah and some lead cases will respond so I don't think it's a for sure rule out and we could do a separate session alone on thiamine deficiency and how that plays a role but um, typically in cattle what we see is the sulfur associated form so there's some feed stuffs that are notoriously high in sulfur so I'm thinking distiller grain some of the co-product type stuff molasses so those are a lot of the things that I ask questions of and there were none of the none of that in the ration in this case um, so it threw a curveball there, and then the fact that they were responding. So we have a clinical polio, but not a typical polio that that I get involved
0: with. So then, what we want to see is what's the what's the diagnosis. So when you got back the tissues and we're able to look at those, we've had some cattle respond, might be polio. What did you see on the tissues?
1: Yeah, the the brain fluoresced about as pretty as I've ever seen a brain. Typically, that's you know they don't always do it, and this one lit up really well and so that supported that diagnosis the histopath you know we had the histologic lesions of polio encephalomalacia so that fit in line and now we need to go back and figure out why
0: okay and and that's where you'd already asked some of the basic questions where we think about distillers or or even the water can have high sulfur content so what's the what's the next step
1: so they sent the entire ration so this all these cattle had access to grass but it was later in the fall. There wasn't a lot of actual forage left. And so the the ration that they were getting was trash from a cotton gin and had some soybean holes in it and some poultry litter, Um, which if you run that through a ration program, it's actually, you know, you can get a pretty decent ration out of those things. And so trying to figure out which of those has elevated sulfur, and that's where my mind went. And so the ration in total was 0.6% sulfur, which, you know, depending on what you read, 0.3 to 0.4% is the maximum that you should have and then you can start approaching polio from there and so I went further and tried to physically separate that and so the stuff from the cotton gin there was you know as a filler there was basically nothing in there Um, I couldn't separate out the soy holes with some of the finer particles but the chunks of what I assume was fecal material and some of the Chicken litter was one percent sulfur, so to me, that's the wow. you know, that's the main contributor there.
0: Is that is that typical in chicken litter, or because I know that there are some folks that use that as components? Is that is that a typical percent there, or is this abnormal for some reason?
1: I think it's abnormal for some reason. So I went to dig through the NRC, and they've got point two percent listed for chicken litter. So I think it's recognized that there's some there, but I don't know why this was so elevated. And so trying to do some digging, you know, posing questions to some of our poultry colleagues it sounds like they some places will use elemental sulfur um, to adjust the diet and kind of cut down ammonia emissions um, in the barns themselves but um, it's also got some activity against some of the foul mites that they fight and so that's purely suspect at this point but i wonder if there's not something there that's
0: happening so so in this case the the resolution is we got to take that feed away right yeah, or or dilute it out further or what did, how did you manage that
1: yeah, they just took it away. Um, so there's, you know, they had certain percentages of those feed components mixed in, but they just took um, that litter away. And I think it'll be a really real challenge to figure out what actually was going on because it was, you know, multiple different places blended together. Um, so I don't know that we'll ever pinpoint that. But Had, they, case, had they,
0: they been using this same mix of feed previously and then started having problems? Or was this a brand new mix for this operation?
1: They had been using the same components, but they changed the percentage of the mix. It was like... 10 days ahead of time and then it sounds like there was some a new person doing the feeding you know on a short-term basis and then after that we had this problem so I don't know that we'll ever get the clear answer there but um, yeah I think at the end of the day I think we just need to recognize that poultry litter could potentially cause a problem Um, and it's you know maybe not relying on book values all the time
0: well well, I think that's a great point with any of our byproducts we know that depending on the specific byproduct or co-product however you want to term it there's variability. And load to load, there can be relatively large differences, which in this case made a huge difference. What would you do different if you had to go back and do this case again from the start? Because it sounds like you guys had a pretty uh, good pathway to get an answer.
1: I don't know that we could change anything. You know, they the people in the field started treating right away, had a pretty dramatic response to the thymine, which I don't know that they could change anything um, other than if we could have done some feed testing ahead of time, that's the only way to prevent it that I can think of. Um, and it's, I know that starts to add expense every time you do it, but you got to weigh that against the risk. And s- these co-products that we talk about, there's really not a lot of regulation there. And the variability is a big thing that we always deal with um, from a tox standpoint. So I think those are all good points.
0: Yep, absolutely. And, and know what are some of the potential caveats of what you're using. So if you're using chicken litter, here's one caveat to be aware of and understand that as you use those products. If I want to get more information on this or any of our other toxicology topics, where could I go, Scott?
1: Well, we've included some show notes um, with this case on the BCI website, on the website that you access this podcast from. Um, and there's there some ref- references there, some resources on not just polio, but um, some other things. So that's a good place to start.
0: Excellent. Thanks, Scott. Appreciate you sharing this case with us, and thanks for listening.
1: Thanks, Brad.